welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I think it's a Thursday afternoon. We've got a cool guest sitting on our couch today. I'm I'm digging having people back. I think I said that last time and it's still there. I'm still digging it. I'm like a kid that went to school for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) It is pretty exciting to have people on the couch again. So hey, everyone, it's Amanda. We have Ron here today who is also a registered massage therapist and educator. So he fits right in here. And um, unfortunately, when you came in today, you didn't get to see the classroom set up because now, uh, you know, with the way things are now, we tear everything down at the end of each class so we can clean everything up and the chairs get stacked. So you didn't get to see it in all its glory. And then we also have a treatment room (laughs) here as well. So we just don't want anyone getting comfortable. Yeah, we don't want anyone coming in and sitting down, actually. Pretty much, right? Fair enough. Because we've had that before. We've had people come in and they're like, because we normally have like one side of the classroom set up with, you know, tables, not massage tables tables like desks and the other side of the classroom has massage tables right. and i've already had people patients that you know as they're waiting for me they're just sprawled out on the massage they table. literally just lay out yeah, on the yeah, yeah, yeah. the massage tables that are just sitting there so yeah we have to well no it's a weird time i know our clinics are just like airport kind of um, waiting rooms yeah. because they're just this of a flow of people going through and and uh it's so unusual but i mean it's remarkable it's been, what been um back what six weeks or so but and it's kind of normal in in a weird way that you're but you're seeing this everywhere so it's definitely an unusual time yeah it's strange but here we are at least you're here on the couch and i say this every episode now but it's just to satisfy people we're all sitting six feet apart from each other <laughs> fair enough so no, before we yeah. before we get into why we're here today um since this is your first time on an episode with us can you introduce yourself for everybody so how long you've been practicing yeah. what type of practice you have all the things you've done Great. So um, I'm a massage therapist, graduated in 95 from Sutherland Chan. So I've been practicing a while. Um, I've practiced in two clinics and the clinics I've been, both clinics I've been in for about 20 years. One's a sports specific tennis clinic and the other is a a multidisciplinary clinic downtown. Um, and through in the 2000s, for about six or seven years, I was an examiner for the CMTO. And so then, and then I started teaching in about 2010. And I've been teaching ever since. I currently teach at Mohawk College in Hamilton and teach a variety of things. But uh, one of the things I'm really interested in is, is assessment and the unique role that um, massage therapists have in assessment. Okay, so I need to ask you, since you've been in the field for so long, you've been at the same clinics for 20 years. Yeah. These obviously must be awesome clinics. You must really love your work environment. Um, Did you ever get the urge to branch out and try something different? Or do you really like having this niche? You said one of them is very sport specific. You work with tennis players. Like, has that, was that something that you set out to do or did you just fall into Um, that? I think it's always looking for a good vibe in the clinic. And so I, when I started out being a male therapist back then, there was an issue about whether I'd get busy or not. And I became quite anxious prior to graduating, but whether could I make this a go or not. And so then at that point, locating downtown was important because didn't, there seemed to be enough clients for uh, for a male therapist that it wasn't an issue. So I started downtown at Sutherland Chan at their first location. And that was great. It was just busy all the time. And then some of those people I still treat back way back then. And so they followed me for from where I am. And so 
Um, in terms of uh, what was the question again? <laughs> Did you always want to have such a specific? No, type I of think practice? at the five year mark, I started looking for other options. I was kind of is this, is this all there is in kind of thing? And so then I've got mm-hmm. a family, and I was using the income to support a family and stuff. As a and so that started looking into other things, but. I didn't. I found that once I started thinking um, more through the examiner role and then teaching, I found that I was getting a lot more from the work because I found that there's so much about going and reading something and coming back and then seeing someone come in your clinic with that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, holy cow, wow. And so then that, the, the practice of it, the, the kind of experiential learning that happened through both the reading and to teaching and the um, the practice and then realizing that you're really helping people. And I think one of the things that I've found that I really love about the work is the sense that you have an hour with someone. So there's a lot of education that goes into that in terms of explaining what goes on in Mm -hmm. the body. I mean, one of the things I tell students is that we know probably more than 95% of the population about how the body works. And so then people come in with, particularly in, in the time of Google now, you can find information about what you have in seconds, but it's not good information. It's not contexted information. You and don't, you can you don't jump. like Dr. Google? No. Well, I love it. <laughs> Dr. But, Google doesn't but, work But without for you. a context, it becomes a problem because then you jump to, you know, cancer in two, two yep. leaps without having a context for it. And we become people who deal with it all the time. We become, you can become really good at, at breaking down um, the understanding, breaking down the concepts, how you get from A to B. Yep. And I think that's what our education really gears us to, really building a basic understanding for how to understand the body and then taking it into the world and saying, oh, no, but that's what this happens. But actually, um, with the immune system, this is what actually happens. And so that doesn't happen that way. And so then I can see why you're thinking that way, but this is actually the process. So it gives us an opportunity and a window to really be able to you take the information and, and make really practical to the individual because the individual with a thing has pain. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, their brain takes them to survival. Their brain takes them to, am I going to have this all my life? Is this, do I need a knee replacement? That's where their brain takes yeah. them right. based on the information that's around them. But we become, the, we have a time and the knowledge to be able to break that down and give them a context how to, how to understand it and do then build relationships. Yeah. that massage therapy colleges in general, do you think they do a good job at giving future RMTs the tools to be able to think that critically? Because yeah. everything you're saying is based around us being able to walk someone through exactly, you know, what's happening in their body and why this might happen. And, you yeah. know, I I feel that it's a, really based around being able to think critically and yeah. look at the entire body and the person and, you know, what could possibly be going on. It's, it's not as easy as like, okay, you have knee pain. I'm going to do this test, you know, since we're talking about assessments. Okay, it was positive. This is what it is. It's not that easy. And we know no, that, right? No, exactly so, right. Do you think the schools do a good job at preparing? Yeah, I think the schools do a great job. I think that's the one thing, I think there's kind of, there's, there's things that, I don't know, I think that I just remember back from my education, and you probably do too, teachers that you loved. Mm-hmm. And I go back to some of the people that, I mean, I, Fiona Ratri was one of my teachers. And so, and she was fantastic in terms of how much work she put into it. I think of Bruce McKinnon, a fantastic teacher in terms of how much passion, Murray, um, Murray Pickering. These guys were great teachers. And so they kind of made you think, wow, this is really cool. And so that's, I think that 
our job as teachers now is to stand on the shoulders of our teachers and say, okay, so what's new? Mm. And I think the thing that we could do better at is breaking down some of the old ways of thinking about what we do and bringing it up to date with current understandings of how much more integrated um, our understandings of the body are now. And so I think back when a lot of the theories about massage happened, they happened out when massage was maybe outside of the norm. And so we were yep. alternative, right? For sure. And so then we had, we created alternative theories to how we worked because the mainstream maybe didn't value it so much. And so mm -hmm. we knew it worked and we knew it felt great. We knew I felt better afterwards, but mm -hmm. we didn't necessarily have good language. And so then some of the things we went to don't necessarily hold up to scrutiny the way they could. So things like um, just even circulatory, the idea of massage is to increase circulation. Everyone uses that, but we probably get more circulation from a uh, a five-minute run yeah, and an hour from massage. Walking, from and walking yeah. up the stairs <laughs> yeah, to get to the office. Yeah, it costs you less, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then... But so the benefit of working on that area probably isn't to increase circulation because, you know, if it, what happens if a tissue doesn't have circulation? Mm -hmm. It's dead, right? It's de and so then we know that tissue is getting circulation, but we're changing pain sensation and we're pa changing proprioception by working on it. So much more focused on how the muscles are connected to the nervous system and how we're impacting and less on some of the more ones that some of the theories that are harder to substantiate when they're putting under the you know the, the sunshine mm -hmm. of science now so we have an opportunity to integrate information from that do you find that there's an issue though when you're when you're trying to do that as an instructor but maybe the curriculum that is there that approved curriculum from the ministry doesn't necessarily call for that and then the licensing exam doesn't call for that either so in other words you're taking on this role as an instructor to bring your students up to date on stuff but everything else seems to be a little outdated yeah i agree and i think that i know the college cmto right now is looking to update all of the standards, right? Mm -hmm. So they're reviewing all the standards, and hopefully, when that comes out, there'll be better language on that. I mean, we still have a we have a standard for stroking, right? right. And so then, or vibrations, right? And so then, but the reason for that is likely that we created the the idea is that that technique kind of uh, kind of activates unique proprioceptors on the skin that has a particular effect and that's why it's there. And so then that's there's a reason for it's there but it doesn't hold up to scrutiny the way it needs to now maybe. And so then the difficulty what you're saying Mark is that is I think then I think that's where we can challenge it. I think and say okay, well let's look at the science of it. Let's see how that fits with current understanding. Exactly. And so then but that's where I think as as teachers today we are able to do that because we're actively in a room mm -hmm. with people. And so Rattray, and that's a fantastic textbook. I love it. There's old, there's things in it that are old that, that were written 20 years ago right. that need to be kind of have in context. That's still good information, but let's look at it a different way and see how that fits there and give new resources to it in a way that um, kind of allows you to look at it fresh and can, mm -hmm. can bring it together. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things in my my program, we have, for example, a seven-week course on kidney function. Seven weeks on the kidney. So that's a lot of nephrons and yeah. proximal tubules and stuff, right? And so a lot then, of nephrons. And so then, but the net thing at the end of it, if we can say then, so how does the body get rid of toxins? Mm -hmm. It's the kidney, right? It's not massage. It is not massage. Yeah. Before we get into the assessments talk. Yeah, because I want to, sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's okay. I know you'll forget. You go first. I want to know about your your time being an examiner yep. at the college how did you get into that 
what stations were you an examiner for? What was the training like to do to do that job? Were uh, you my examiner? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's possible, possible based on yeah. his timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, maybe. we had that. One of my one of my colleagues at uh, at the college. I actually, she said, "I remember you." you. <laughs> I was way too nervous that day to have remembered if you were there. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I, you, you get a chance to. I got a chance to examine in most stations and. Um, the training, what the neat thing is that they have a lot of, they have the kind of the, the, the individuals who spend a lot of time making the questions mm-hmm. and making the scenarios and they were great. Um, and so then a lot of it, then you get into a room and say, okay, this is a scenario. This is what we're looking for. These are the circumstances that you'd come to it from. And so then this is what to expect and right. this is what you're watching for. And so I, the training, I thought the training was really well, did, was really great. And I really found that the people, who were organizing were really um, practical and um, and organized in a way that made it run really well. Mm-hmm. And you know, there was always a deferral to um, you know the reasonableness of the circumstance. If something unreasonable came up, it was always looked at as being okay. Well, that's our mistake, or right, let's right, kind of right. look at that. Um, and so then I found that. Um, it became a really nice way. I mean, to see, I, I just, ex- I appreciated so much of the, the angst mm. that went into every individual right. in terms of how important that day was for them. And so then you really had a lot of respect mm-hmm. um, for, you know, this person's entering into a new stage of their life and this is really, really important. And the ones who weren't prepared, it was really obvious. Like they just didn't, they were just out of their league at the time. In in those scenarios, is it tough to watch someone that's unprepared? Yeah. Or are you like, mm, you're unprepared. That's the way it goes. Sorry. No, I mean, I think, I think it, it's, I think it, it is tough to watch because you wonder how they got there. Right. Like, like there's something about that, their, how they got looked at prior that made them think they were ready, but they were not ready. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so then... Um, you see that. And so you see that regular all the time in terms of, you know, that there's a job, sometimes it's a disconnect because it's hard. Yeah. I think, um, you know, when you get into assessment and stuff that, that what you're looking for is kind of a lot of very technical information and not everyone, it's not everyone's best suit. Sometimes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they just go through it in a rote way and they may not understand exactly what they're doing because that's the way they learn it. Yeah. Well, we've seen it. Like we've talked about this in other episodes. We do an OSCE prep and we've had people come in and it's exactly as you're saying, we sometimes have to scratch our heads a little. Like how did you get to this point where you're, you know, you're two months out from your OSCE and we're reviewing draping with you. Or not even that. You've done your OSCE twice. Right, exactly. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And we're, we're reviewing, reviewing draping, draping with, with you. you. Yeah. 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 So we've seen some of And I I mean, I was just going to add on to that. I've never been an examiner. The furthest I've done in education is continuing education. And I was a clinic supervisor. But I know Mark has spoken about this, marking OPs. I oh, yeah. feel like it would be really hard for me to be an examiner because you know that feeling when you, even if you're watching a TV show and these are fictional characters and somebody is just embarrassing themselves, like I, I hate that feeling i'm like oh i can't watch i can't look it's i don't know i don't know if i could what, what i like about the process and this is exactly the way the cmto work too and that's how we do it in our process is uh, in some ways the neat thing about it is that the the um the marking scheme should be a teaching tool mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. in the sense that it's kind of because you break down the idea of the oski stuff is that it's 
it's objective in the sense there's all these things, tick marks you have to get. Yeah, you, you should know exactly what you're expected to do when yeah, you go in there, yeah. so, which but, is what our prep course is. Yeah. We're not teaching people, we're reviewing with them what is expected of yeah, you, like exactly. what standards yeah. come into play here exactly and what right. are you? how are you supposed to perform in the station? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We expect that you have the knowledge if you're coming here for well, yeah, you, prep. You, which... you graduated from massage therapy college, yeah. so you know something, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So it's not a reteach for us at all. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. And then, so then, but the neat thing about even, like there's a lot of nerves that go into this stuff and even just, you know, the, in, the individual in the room who's the teacher may be intimidating in some way. And that's, yep. that's mm-hmm. also a factor for performance anxiety, right? For and sure. that's a big part of this, right? Yeah. And so then, but the neat thing is that um, if you can, if, with that page, a marking page at the end, you've got very specific criteria that they missed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's a kind of a, you did this really well, you're communicating really well, but these are the things that you missed. And so we have to work at that. What's that? Um, so then I think breaking that back, if they're taught that way, then they can build those skills over time. Mm-hmm. And so right. then if that's introduced in fourth term or something, yep, right? Yep. So then you're always working on it over time and it's not a surprise when they get there if they put the time into it. Yeah. And so then because it is, you know, the neat thing about this, this is is a, it's a two-year program after high school, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so then the science that's to get into the program is quite limited. You don't need to have a lot of science. But you see students who really put the work in to memorize it, to get through and, and do well in it. And I'm always really impressed um, by that process, right? Just not everyone, everyone has different aptitudes. But you're in the program. Let's let's get you through this. Let's exactly. figure it out. Right it's funny that we're here to talk about assessments and talking about the OSCE. It brought me back and... Um, I think I was really overconfident, which is not a bad thing. Like I I had nerves, but I was really confident. Like I was ready. I knew stuff up, down, backwards. Like I I was ready. And my first couple of stations, I felt so good. I did. I was like, I killed that. Like if I didn't do perfect on that, there is no perfect. I was so happy. Anyway, when it got to uh, my assessment station, um, I think I was too confident. And in the instructions, like in the actual STEM, it it tells you what you don't have to do, right? Like this has already been ruled out yeah, yeah. and I just went too crazy and I started trying to prove how smart I was and like doing tests that were unnecessary to show like look at all these tests I know I ran out of time <laughs> like <laughs> lesson for everybody don't be so cocky because I ran out of time so I never even gave a clinical impression and I left and I was so upset and I was so flustered and uh, when I got home I said to Mark I'm so upset because no. I knew I knew what right. the condition was yeah. and I knew what I should have said and I didn't have enough time. And I mean, obviously not enough to fail because here I am, but yeah, I got way too cocky yeah, with no, the assessments. The it's a, it is a reading <laughs> comprehension thing too, right? It's yeah. exactly. a listening, being being told there's no surprises yep. and it's about what what you don't, you do and you don't do what's yep. on that stem. It's really there for you. It's a great example. Yeah. Definitely. It's, I just didn't listen. It was all there. So nobody to blame but me. Show off. <laughs> <laughs> Any, okay, so you reached out to us, and I feel like I said, I feel like it was months ago. COVID, it was, is, you know, it's been what, 27 years by now. So yeah, I don't know when, like yeah, yeah. I don't know when you and I originally started talking, but the thing that you stated in your first message to me was, you know, that you, you have some interesting insights on assessments. And initially, if you remember way back to, you know, March, Timber, whatever it was, I said, uh, I feel like we've beaten the assessments conversation to death, but, then I changed my mind. I was like, but part of what I like about our podcast is we let every person come on and give their take because there is always something you can learn from everybody. Yeah, right? I, don't, so, I don't think we beat this topic. To and death, you know what? It's maybe because we're doing it 
in class and then online and on the podcast. That's so I was like, no, you know what? I changed my mind. Yes, yeah. let's talk about assessments. Let's do that. Yeah. So Yeah, so for me, the impetus, first of all, I had time because the COVID has given me some time. And so that gives you a chance to kind of start working on some of those ideas you have. Yeah. And this is one of the things that I've, I've often felt a lot about. And I think one of the things is in talking to a lot of having friends or massage therapists and talking to a lot of m- massage therapists, we get a bugaboo in our head about whether we're assessing enough. Yeah. And I think then, I think that part of that is that our particular skill set is unique and it doesn't fit to the assessment model we do in the OSCE station. That 10 minutes in where we have to go through all the different things and come up with a clinical assessment in 10 minutes. And I think the, the real, ha- what really happens in terms of assessment is it doesn't happen in 10 minutes, but it happens in three weeks. Right. When you see someone over the course of three weeks, you get a better sense of what happens over time. And then you can evaluate whether what you're doing is effective. And I think that one of the things that is written in McGee in terms of palpation is it's this tiny little paragraph right at the end of the kind of whole protocol of assessment that you have to do at the end because you don't want the assessment by pressing on an area to get um, to get bad information or right. change the pain pattern. Yep. And the difficulty with that is that that's not accurate. I mean, I think the reality is that so much of what a pain pattern is isn't a specific thing. And so some, the difficulty with assessment sometimes is that it's really special tests are about putting, you know, finding the needle in a haystack. And reality is it's not like that. Things are complicated. And we can, we can without knowing what the problem, the exact problem is, we can make a big impact by changing the pain pattern mm-hmm. and make people feel better. Mm-hmm. And so then the idea, and so then a big part of identifying where the pain is and where the pain isn't is there. And so then, for example, if you have a painful shoulder and you hurts when you go to move it, then you're going to get a guardian pattern all through that shoulder and neck. And so then that becomes a big part of the sec- secondary part of the pain pattern. It's not the primary injury, but it's a huge limiter. And it's a huge reality in their existence. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so then if we can change that and then take away that muscular component of the pain, they're way better in terms of the, the freedom of movement they have. They may still have that painful movement that is the most problem. It's going to take some time. But what we've increased their functionality in a, in, in a big time. So then, th- so then one of the things you want to do then is be able to um, identify whether, you know, whether it's an inflammatory thing or a chronic thing, whether it's a, um, a muscle thing or a joint thing. And those are all part of the things that we can do with palpation. Mm-hmm. So really kind of, so then in that f- 45 minutes an hour treatment, if you're working on the muscles around that area and you're looking to see, you know, these muscles, there's tension here, but it's not the most painful thing. What you're doing is evaluating okay, where it's not. And that's as equally as important as finding where it is yeah. because you're changing symptoms. So you you obviously teach assessments. As you said, you teach many things and you teach assessments, I'm assuming, in the way that we would have learned assessments. You know, you start with range of motion, you do all three different types of range of motion. You might do some myotomes, you do some yeah. dermatomes, you do some special tests exactly, based on your yeah. findings, yeah. you know, observations, yada, yeah. yada, yada, yada. Yeah. What would you say in practice you are doing? Like, I mean, what you just said, I understand like the theoretical part yeah. of it, but in practice, what are you doing that is sort of above and beyond or different than the way that we had all learned it? It's probably focus, difference in focus. So the things that I find are most, first of all, um, people self-select to come to massage therapy. They've determined that it's a muscle problem, mm-hmm. and, or maybe they've been told to come because it's a muscle problem. So our our great skill set is muscle mechanics. 
muscle technicians. And that's what our scope of practice is in, in terms of healthcare. That's where we fit. We're really good at working over muscles. And so then we're finding the muscle part of the problem. And so then, um, or, and determining whether it's in a muscle or it's a joint. So, so the one, the two things that I think are really important for assessment that get missed is one is joint mobilization Definitely. and two is muscle length and strength testing. Mm-hmm. So isolated muscle length and strength testing to determine, say, is it tib posterior that's causing the pain, right? So right. we can isolate that muscle by firing it a certain way. Right. And so rather than saying it's lateral foot, so we start with lateral foot pain. But then if we can work that area and get that muscle to fire specifically, we, we know how it moves. We know its action, mm-hmm. right? We just resist that action. And if that becomes, ah, that's the bullseye, you've nailed what yep. it is. Yeah, a lot of that comes from being able to rearrange emotion really well. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like a lot of massage therapists, they don't get the idea of what to look for with range of motion. Yeah. A lot of massage therapists are focused on, okay, show me the location of the pain and is the movement, you know, quote unquote proper? Is it right. full or is it not? Is it limited or is it... Is is it excessive? And that's that's it. And I'm like, there's so much more to understand with range of motion. And I think once you get that better understanding of range of motion, be able to read range of motion better, yeah. and then breaking down all the different components of what's happening during the range of motion, then all of this stuff makes tons of sense. Like, yeah. you take that patient that can't abduct their GH beyond 90 degrees, right? So then let's start, since we're muscle people, let's start with muscles. Concentrically, right. what's, what's creating this movement? Okay, then what muscular tissue needs to lengthen to allow this movement to happen? Yeah. Okay, well, what are the component motions associated with that GH abduction. In other words, what are the the other involuntary joint movements that occur, like the Mm -hmm. SC joint, the scapulothoracic articulation, the AC joint? Okay, now let's take a look at the arthrokinematics of all those things. So can we spot everything that's happening during the range of motion? Can we pinpoint, as you're suggesting, and test all of those individual things? Now we've got some good answers. So I think there's tons of value in stuff like that. Mark is where you want to go with this at the end. And so then there's a lot of therapists who won't ever feel comfortable going there. And then, and, and so then, and, and I, I, I go there too. That's what I like. I find that interesting in terms of with the individual, but strictly, I think one of the, ba- if we take it back a step for, you know, um, the 40 year old woman who's coming into massage therapy and has never had a, a has no sense of um, kinesiology background and mm-hmm. really struggles with the content. If we simply, can if they simply know what that range of motion should be, if they know the number yep. and where it goes, and 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 they can determine whether it um, it is functional, or dysfunctional, mm-hmm. then that's huge because then you know from that point you know the muscles that are in the area, and you can t- test the muscles by kind of getting it to fire, and then you can mobilize the joint to see whether. Does that does that hurt more than the muscle movement? Exactly. So simply determining whether it's a muscle or a joint yeah. is huge. It's massive, right? Yeah. And then and then, but if you can own the ranges of motion, the numbers, right? So for example, one of the things I think happens every day in therapy is um, stretches to the hamstrings, and so you got to stretch to the hamstrings, and a functional range of motion of the hamstring is ninety degrees. And so then you take someone into a stretch and treatment, right? And you get them there up at 90 degrees and they say, wow, that's tight. Mm-hmm. I say, no, no, that's not tight. That's normal. That's a stretch you feel. Yeah. But we do that a lot. And so, with, but if we can have, and everyone does it, it's not just massage therapists, it's chiropractors, it's physios, it's kinesiologists, it's ATs, trainers, right? Yeah. Right. The glutes aren't activated enough. All these things that happen that are kind of things that are norms. But if we can become the, the, the ones who are giving good information, mm-hmm. Based, based on our objective understanding of simple things like range of motion, we really become an asset in the healthcare system because we're we're kind of giving, kind of taking away the fake news 
as you say, in terms of the information people are getting. I can't not giggle when someone no, says fake news. No, I know, I know. I can't help but say it now. It's just one of those things. But that idea then, if we can give people honest information based on, so that that becomes a starting point from when you leave school. So I know the range of motion of a joint. Right. I know that the shoulder goes up to 180, and if it can't go, there's a kind of big problem with it. Let's figure out what the problem is. But I know where it should be. And and every joint has a very kind of, you know, if, if a joint has six ranges or six numbers, and you can evaluate where it goes. And so the neat thing is sometimes, like hips, for example, someone comes in and they say, I've got to pull that doctor, yep. right? So then, okay, so if that's, I mean, that means if I get it to fire, it's going to hurt like I'll get out. And so then that's an easy test. You get them to push into your, push, push the knees together. That doesn't hurt. Nope. Okay. It's not the adductor. Nothing. No, there's no strain in the adductor there. Nope. So then you simply ch- ch- gave them good information. You don't know what the problem is yet. You right? know what it isn't. You know yeah. what it isn't. And we're just and, eliminating stuff. Like yeah. that's, that's yeah. what, that's the way we kind of roll through it, right? Yeah. We're rolling in with this, this massive amount of possibility. Yeah. And then every step along the way, we're just eliminating things. Well, eliminating like your things. example with the shoulder, there are so many things that it could possibly yeah. be when right. somebody doesn't have full range of their shoulder. You're looking at all the different component motions. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the joint itself. You're looking mm-hmm. at the concentric muscles. The east, like There's just so many things. And I think part of why RMTs do shy away from assessments is because there are so many things. I think it jumbles in their mind and they're they're not thinking it about it as simply as Ron is kind of explaining it, which we do learn it this way, where if you, if, if you do the bare minimum of doing the active range of motion, doing the passive range of motion, like trying to determine is this muscle, is this joint and ruling out simple things. Because yeah, a lot of people do come in from Dr. Google and say, I have carpal tunnel. Well, we can very easily do a couple things to say to them like, no, you don't. A big part of that, I think with massage therapists is, is, is the foundational knowledge isn't always there, right? So do you remember things like your convex concave rule and therefore understand where the moving bone is going to slide at a joint space? During I think, a, that, during a I think we can movement? take away some of those complications. Mm-hmm. And I think then just simply identifying. So if we think about, um, you know, whether it's an acute or a chronic thing, first right. of all, right? So is there an inflammation present? And so the neat thing about inflammation, if we think about inflammation, I think that there's a lot of fear about inflammation taught in school. Yes. And I think that- In massage school. Yeah, yeah in general, because, somehow yeah, presented because you're as always a talking pathology. We're right, always right, talking, right. we have to, right? We're always talking about conditions. And so then it may become, you be care, you were careful about doing anything that's going to cause a problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the, one of Rattray's old things that I found that just doesn't hold up was the idea of not being able to work below an area because you're going to have fluid running through it. Exactly. Right? That doesn't make sense. The idea of causing congestion in an area. Mm-hmm. No, because so if then, they, because if they then walked you'd have to the never, clinic. People would never be walking. <laughs> yeah. If they, if had they, a bad if they walked to the clinic, you yeah. can treat their Yeah. So, so then that's, so the, but there, there, there's, and, and I, 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 every time I look at Rattray, I find more things I like about it. It's like she was ahead of her curve in terms of muscle length and strength testing mm-hmm. about really kind of being on top of things. But that's where I think we can, as, as teachers today, build on what they did and kind of take it to the another level. And one of the ways is to create simple paradigms about um, all we have to do is if we, you know that something is inflamed, it's gonna, it's already started to get better. It's just going to be a time thing. And so yeah. then you want to let it get better. And so you don't want to cause anything that causes a sharp pain in it. And so then you can f- determine when you're working it, if it hurts, don't do it. And so that idea of um, a simple concept I like, this is a physio concept about when to start working a muscle, right? right. The idea of a stable pain versus an unstable pain. We've all had injuries, right? And it, and you get injured and then you say, oh, I can't walk on Oh, it hurts at all, right? That's an unstable pain, right? Yeah. But then you realize that I need to get moving. So you do, and over time, as you can, you do more and more to eventually you're back to normal. 
And so that kind of concept happens with most inflammation, right? Tissue mm-hmm. wants to get better. The only way it gets better is through scarring because it creates new tissue. And thank God it does because it didn't, we, we'd be broken forever, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so then that idea is that the body wants to take care of itself. So our job is to make it feel better, is to make it simpler in terms of how they feel it. And that's where the idea of treating the... Um, protective mechanisms, the guarding that's around there. And mm-hmm. that's what we do really, really well. We, we're comprehensive about treating the area. We don't just treat the spot um, or put ultrasound on the area. We work the entire shoulder girdle, yep. for example, in the shoulder, mm-hmm. right? And so then we end up taking away a lot of that secondary tension and make it much more functional right away. The tissue has to get better. And so if we think about um, you know, you cut yourself in the kitchen. It takes about a seven days for that, that the finger to get, get scarred up, right? So that's probably the framework for an acute inflammatory thing. But that's going to happen on its own. And we don't have to, we can let that happen. And we don't we do anything that's going to cause harm to that. But by treating the us muscles that are around it, mm-hmm. what we're doing is getting, we're getting better, getting that area better so they have less discomfort. And then we learn to load it. And so then when we can, can and once you've identified if it's a muscle that's problematic, and you can find, isolate that tip posterior and load it, then that will allow it to get better. So it's p- provided that it's a stable pain and not an unstable pain. So mm-hmm. the idea that it hurts a little bit, but not so much, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Right? I feel like you guys have a similar approach to assessment, except maybe, Mark, with your biomechanics background, you do go into the much more complicated stuff that I agree that- I don't know if I, I go into the complicated stuff, but the complicated stuff always sits in the sticks, back of my well, mind. And it, it sticks yeah. out to you. It's that's obvious to you. That's why it allows me to yeah. spot things that, that if it's not in the front of your mind or no, the back of your mind- No, and that's cool because that's fun, right? Yeah. And you're kind of playing with this live subject. I mean, I always think of this stuff as that every time you get a new client, it's like a- a science experiment, oh, right? Sure. So you've got this knowledge and they've got this problem and let's see if we can find a solution, right? You don't mm-hmm. know if you will, but let's see. And if not, then you go somewhere else, whatever. Exactly. But but it's our honest attempt. And yeah. so the difficulty with that is that we can get bogged down sometimes with, oh, I can't do anything with that because it's an acute. And, and so then... But there's, there is, a, and you can, and so you know what you can do based on how it feels. Feel is everything. Yeah. And so then, I mean, there's some stuff you got to stay away from based on kind of red flags and stuff like that, but yeah. that's relatively minor in terms of what you see on a sure. daily basis because yeah. of the self-selection. Because we have an emergency room, people go there first before they come to the massage therapist, right? Yeah. I find a lot, I mean, I think it's getting less now, but I know that there was a time where any type of pain, you just went to your doctor, right? Yeah. And then... Yeah, that's less if, and less. It's less and less, but it used to be you have pain, any type of pain, you go to your doctor. Doctor's first instinct, if it is any kind of like muscle pain, joint pain, whatever, what is it? Physio. Go to physio, or right? Or x-ray, yeah. And I agree with Ron in the fact that we are the only people, I don't know if we said this on mic or off mic, but he was saying we are probably the only profession that has this luxury of spending so much time with our hands on people, we can gather so much more information through our treatments and our treatments are a constant ongoing assessment. And I like that you brought that up too. An assessment, like when I have a, a new client come in, of course, we go through all the questions and I do the intake and we do some range of motion. I do some assessments, but it's not that that's it. I've done my assessment and yeah. now we just treat. It's yeah. ongoing assessment. Everything I palpate is yeah. assessment. You find things through treatment. When they get off the table, they might feel something new. Something's different. Something. It's ongoing assessment yeah. all the time. Why don't you think physios do that? Why don't you think a physio spends so much time with their patient? Because they can. There's tons of stuff for a physio to do to spend time. Is it all about the money at that point? I think there's, I think it's changing. I think you're getting a lot of really... It's cha- the marketplace is changing. Historically, 
back before when uh, if, uh, physio was OHIP, it was they had a lot of people in in a given room, right? Yeah, so yeah, you had, yeah. it'd be your modality kind of move from modality, 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 modality. modality and but then... there's a market now for really good um, hands-on for physio, sure. and you're seeing more and Manual more of it, therapy. Yeah. And I think the evolution of massage is that we're kind of we have an opportunity to move away from some of the esoteric views of what we do, whether it's releasing toxins or mm-hmm. um, or cranial sacral therapy or things. As I know it's still out there, but the science of it doesn't hold up so well. It's more of a relaxation therapy, which is a profound thing. I think right. if there's four things that I think that we can do, one is decreasing muscle tension, mm-hmm. two is increasing proprioception, three is decreasing pain, and four, and not I mean, significantly, is, is increasing relaxation. And so then I think that's, I mean, the stress response is so important for survival. And we've evolved historically to be able to, um, uh, you know, run away from lions based on the stress that's in front of us. And I now that's... I think you'll win that race. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> and so then, but now our stress is in front of keyboards all the time. And so yeah. that, that, that's the same physiological response and we get geared up to get things done. But we're not as good as letting go. And so to have someone facilitate that through activating the relaxation response or the parasympathetic response is incredibly helpful because we just don't do it very well as humans. We haven't evolved that way to do it. So having someone want to help you with that is what we do really well mm-hmm. and that's kind of and that i think is what happens in the in the cranial sacral thing that sense of getting palpation at the kind of areas of the of the parasympathetic nerves that leave the cranium it is very relaxing oh I, yeah i Never mean had it done. i don't do it i've i've oh, had no, cranial sacral done to I, me a couple of yeah. times it is very very relaxing speaking of relaxation what do you have to say about people who say that massage therapists there's no evidence to say that we decrease stress because cortisol levels don't necessarily change in our in our session i mean yeah i think i think it's about the physical kind of proprioception information we're getting so it's more about nervous system response is what it is and so then if you look at so you're on the table Mm -hmm. and you don't have to support your body weight but your muscles are still engaged and particularly the muscles of the back and neck they're postural Mm -hmm. muscles and they're innervated to fire all the time i mean right now mark your neck is holding up you probably you, that you know that's an involuntary response. The neck muscles are always going to hold your neck up. The back muscles you don't have to think about whether you're going to use them or not when you wake up in the morning. They're yeah. always engaged, and that means they're always ready to fire. So when we're stressed, what we do is we kind of hold that tension because we got to get stuff done. There's a level of um, activation that we have in our muscles that are. Um, that are kind of wired for what our perceived need is. And so yeah. when you're lying on the table, you don't have to hold your back muscles up, but they're still engaged. And so then you're giving physical input into those muscles about how tight they need to be. So you're sending, when you press in QL or the rectus spinae, you're pressing into that muscle and you're sending a signal to the brain about how tight that is relative to how, it, and how tight it needs to be. And it doesn't need to work, so it lets go. And that's what happens. And that's something that I, I don't think is done very well in, in other ways. And so that direct feedback into that area is really unique in terms of what we do. And that's why people keep coming back. Yeah. Um, it, because it is a, is a, we have difficulty relaxing because we're more gui- wired to fire than we are to relax. And so that becomes a unique way. And then think about the muscles is that they are unique organs, right? So the, mus- the signal that goes to a muscle um, is um, telling it to fire based on its perceived need. And so the back muscles are always tight because they need to fire and hold. The glute muscles are all often not engaged because they don't need to fire when you're, you don't use big power muscles to fire to walk down the street or to sit in a chair. So they fall out of use. And so that's where 
activating the glutes can become a neat way of kind of changing how you use your body. But yeah. we often, they fall out of use because we don't need them, right? Because mm-hmm. we're not running because for buses all the time. Because we sit all day. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's a natural response. And so then it's not a problem per se, but it's more about how the body is wired. And I think one of the things that, re- the reasons people go for back massages and neck massages a lot is because we're not geared to un- unwind them. We're wired up. We've got busy lives. We've got podcasts to do, right? We've got kids to look after. We've got people to so treat. So many things. Right? And so all those things, we've got classes to teach. All those things are kind of engaged in life. And so then we sleep, right? And so we oftentimes um, don't kind of un- unwind the way we wind up. And that's a physical um uh, a physical kind of response to our environment. I think one of the guys, I mean, there's a guy, an evolutionary biologist at a Harvard. He did some great work on um, uh, on f- uh, f- the running, forefoot running and barefoot running and stuff yep. in terms of the evolution of that. But he talked about how, he talks about how uh, our muscular system is was so important for survival over the history of millions of years. Mm-hmm. So you have incredible nervous system um, dedicated to the muscles so that we can respond any way we want to for, to whatever thing we need to. And that immediate response isn't because we have such a huge um, m- amount of our nervous system dedicated to our musculoskeletal system. And so then being able to kind of unwind that and mm-hmm. cut down to a baseline so you're waking up your body you know, when we're busy doing stuff, what we're thinking about is getting the stuff done. We're not, you know, you put clothes on, you feel it go on, but then you forget about it all day because you're not thinking about that information. And so then, but when you're getting treated, that you, that proprioceptive information is alive. And so then, and your brain is checking in saying, oh, this is, I don't have to do anything right yeah, now. And so that it resets very, all the functional. Very, right? very mindful. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We have a cool job. No, you have a cool do. job. Yeah, you guys do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so uh, this is going way, way, way back. But the way you speak about massage therapy, and like obviously... It's nice, actually, to be honest with you. I know, sorry, I'm cutting you off again. It's nice to have someone come in here and, and talk very positive about, yes. about the field, about the profession, especially the last, I don't know, the last couple that we put out. I felt it was very negative about the yeah, profession. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really enjoying this because I agree with everything you say and it's bringing me back to like the simplicity that I felt when I was in right. school that like things, I, I feel like sometimes you can get overwhelmed with information yeah. But it's just going back to like, what is my purpose here? What am I actually supposed to be doing? I have this person in front of me whose nervous system is all wound up and crazy. And what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to help them calm the F down (laughs) and, you know, bring their body back to some sort of state where they can function and be comfortable and, you know, possibly decrease pain if they came in with pain or help them to improve some sort of range of motion. It's a lot simpler than I think sometimes we make it out to be. And there's all different types of therapists and I love that. But I I'm really starting to appreciate just going back to like the very basics of why why do people come to see me and what is it I'm supposed to do? And the way you speak about it, you obviously are really involved. You keep up um, you know, with current research and you understand what has changed, what's new, what makes sense. Like you said, what holds up. Um, I also loved the Rattray textbook. I think she did a great job. And like you said, it was written so long ago that yeah, it could be updated, but I loved it. 
why did you initially get into this? Being that you were a uh, male good question, in yeah. 1995, yeah, yeah. what would have brought you to this You know this what? Career? It was the physical experience. I had an experience. Like we, You know, there wasn't, I mean, my family, we were, you know, a nice family and stuff, but we didn't uh, kind of, weren't terribly close in terms of kind of um, we, communicating. We totally get it. We yeah. get it. <laughs> so, that, so that just a phys- physical communication kind of stuff. And so that, you know, that, that so then I think that the, the feeling of massage it was like an explosion of like what the hell is this it's just it's incredible how i mean i i play hockey with the guy i first got treated with and he's a great guy and he's been in the field for 35 years i think and a fantastic guy and but just a you know, gifted kind of practitioner and he was so into it then and i just found like i've just never experienced anything like this before in terms of the physical information i'm getting mm-hmm. the, the physical awareness that I, the things that i w- wasn't aware of as a human being in terms of what things felt like it was huge mm. and so i think i went into it into this es- esoteric kind of sense of wow this is like a wild thing and i, I don't know and all the things that I was drawn to and the theories about what it was that everyone was talking about, there was a lot of stuff down there back then in terms of, you know, grounding and made you feel more grounded and all things right. that didn't, and didn't, you know, and I was into alternative stuff in the sense of uh, wanting to try new things and stuff. And but so maybe then- maybe this was a little too hippie for you. It was a little you. too flighty for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So initially, but, but initially there was a feeling of it was wild. And so then it was like this, you know, I want to do something that I'm self-employed at, that I, I have total control over. Yeah. I worked, my first career was working with in mental health, working with kids who had a lot of things in their way. And- and it was really interesting work. And I learned a lot from that. Just about Because we had an incredible team that we worked with of psychologists and psychiatrists and social workers. And just to learn a lot about how, what goes on in a kid's life. And then, but I found the work in itself not an end point. And so I wanted something else that allowed me to be a free agent, that allowed me to pursue yeah. my own entrepreneurial thing. My dad had his own business and I liked the idea of having my own business mm-hmm. and stuff. And so, and I've always found that the independence that we get as practitioners to do and move along, move through as you want to. The main thing is you got to stay busy. You have to be relevant to people, right? Yeah. And so that's always the thing that I found. Like So every hour is like, wow, I want to keep this client. I'm going to do my best work. And I found that made me a better person. I think in a, in a real way, whereas in a nine to five job, it's like, oh, well, this just happens. It doesn't happen. It doesn't really matter so much, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a self of being self-motivated that I loved um, about the work that kept me honest, I think, in a way that um, uh, I haven't experienced before. But the other thing, I think, was the physical, physical, and I didn't realize this for years, but what I liked was the physical communication. I've always played uh, contact sports, hockey, mm-hmm. rugby, uh, and love that contact and the physicality of it. Like, um, was something that I just found so cool. Totally agree. In my former life, which was I don't know, like ten years ago, I used to build motorcycles a lot, you know, and cool. I used to say that w- what I liked about it was the same thing I liked about massage therapy. Right. It's this combination of intellect and physical right. that yeah. just it, there's nothing else like yep. it. And no, it I was perfect that. for yeah. me. Totally, totally. Yeah, Zen totally and the it. art of motorcycle mechanics. Yeah, right? yeah. we have <laughs> the book on our bookshelf somewhere. Actually, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great one. Yeah, that's cool. Motorcycle, cool. Well, well, it's yeah, like being a massage cool. therapist, really. Yeah, I can see that. It, it, it really is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't build motorcycles, but I can see that. <laughs> You're a massage therapist, so it's very, very similar. Yeah, no, there's something about just physically f- being with someone. And, and you know, I, I think different bodies are different, and some bodies feel really great to work, and others are more work because they're harder, or mm-hmm. t- the texture, or, and that, that's unique to individuals. But there's something about the work that 
uh, I just find it's 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 cool. I find it really cool as well. And uh, something again, I don't remember if we talked about this off mic or on the episode, but when you were saying, you know, you've assessed a QL, you know, millions of times, but you know, it's this person's QL, and just learning, you yeah. know, uh, working on different bodies and seeing yeah. how different people's uh, muscles and nervous systems react to different types of treatment. And uh, my clients know I tell them all the time, and I've said this as well that. I'm like a mechanic, you know, you come in, I get the information, we try something, okay, right? Is that working well? No, okay, let's try something yeah. else. No, that's so, exactly right, yeah. And it's it's so cool and I, I and I love that, you know, what I do with this client maybe worked great, but it's not going to work the yeah. same with this client. So we have to actually figure out who is this person that we're working with and yeah. develop something that makes sense for them. And uh, I have clients that I've also had since the beginning of my career. So what I like about that is now I feel like I know their body right. so yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when yeah. they come in with like, oh, I slept funny or, you know, I hurt my neck doing, you know, playing rugby, then I'm like, I know them enough yeah. to be able to figure out, okay, what do we have to do here to to fix this problem or to make yeah. you feel a little better? No, that's exactly right. Yeah. Such a Sunshine and Rainbows episode. I like it. I, I dig it, man. It's a nice, <laughs> it's a nice change of pace, actually. <laughs> so when Ron first came in, I don't know if you heard, he was mentioning because he is an educator that we've had some of his students on, Ooh. and I thought it was really nice what you said. And I don't know, like if you're, if you don't want to, but just repeating what you said about what you got out of that because I thought that was so interesting to hear you as their teacher yeah. what you got out of that episode because we were all just being silly in here but you yeah. actually took something really cool away from that well I think that's the thing I mean I, I think the thing about teaching is you know you I find that there's a certain performance element to it every time so you go in there and you know you you have to kind of Maybe the material you may have done this, uh, you know, fifty times before, but that time it's new on that day, and then people have come from all over to be there. So there's a certain amount of respect about that, and so uh, there's a colleague of thank mine. Thank you, uh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, so a friend of mine, um, he's a he's a teacher at uh, at a college in Georgia, and he he wrote this piece about the idea of pe people complaining about their teacher, their students being on their iPhones and stuff like that. And, and, you know, he talked about this idea that, you know, you know, every time students get together, and I've, this has really stayed with me, every time there's a unique community on that day, like people have got out of bed to get there and they're there in that room. So how are we, what are we doing to make that unique on that day? Mm -hmm. Right. And so then, so when I heard the podcast, I was like, there is such an insight. Both those students are awesome, awesome students. They worked really hard in, in the class and they lapped up everything that you told them. And so I find that experience really fun um, because there's that, that really opportunity, right? You've got a passion about something and then they're sharing that passion and want to say, want to get there. And so I think that's what education is all about. And so then, but you see in that window of, of their experience, you saw how they experienced their the program. And I found that really insightful for me because, you know, I see that group of 30 in the room and I'm not sure, you know, um, how it's going to go on a given day. But I, I just gained a little bit of respect, a little bit more respect for, you know, just that how big a deal it is for them to be there. And so then always working to be at your best 
for sure in the room it's such an important thing like i think we talked about this before we were at a conference one time and and we were you know because we were presenting so i think we presented for an hour on one day and an hour on the other day so we had a lot of time to go in and out and watch a lot of presentations happen and then there was this one presentation that i was really disappointed in because nothing happened like it, it didn't hold true to what the presentation was supposed to be about i didn't learn anything and i feel like the presenter didn't even care mm-hmm. and i was thinking to myself like i didn't pay for it because i'm presenting at the conference but right. there are people who selected to come see this right. presentation and they paid money yeah. and you're not delivering on anything it, it didn't seem like the presenter was really prepared and had and had enough material to cover the session. Like maybe they were expecting more interaction from the audience. I don't know. It was like you said, you don't know what you're showing up to. So yeah. you don't know what kind of audience you're going to have. You need to be prepared yeah. with with material. But, it, so. but it's the idea of like there are people that 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 want to hear yeah. what you have to say, and you're putting in zero effort into it. Like that bothered me a lot. Yeah. yeah. No, I get that yeah. for sure. I think you're. Oh, it's, I mean, I in I I think you're totally entitled to that. I mean, I think that's we that kind of experience really. I know. Um, I know. When in my early teaching, some of my first classes, where I was thrown into a room and I just felt unprepared, and it probably came across as unprepared. And so then, um, and so that kind of was like motivation for me. I don't want to have to do that again. Like, no, I that's a horrible feeling. Yeah. You don't want to show yeah. up yeah. <laughs> having to present in front of a group of people and not be prepared. Yeah. Or even, I mean, I think there's something even about thinking that you are prepared, like having read yes. it and knowing it, but yes. then. Um, you don't have an understanding of it to be able to add nuance or context right. to it or that the makes, brings it alive, right? The inability to read the room that's sitting yeah. in front of you. Yeah. And yeah. You guys are giving me anxiety. You know, this, this is bringing me back to the first time I ever had to teach a group fitness class when I was a personal trainer. Okay. I had never done group fitness. I always worked one-on-one, but again too much confidence over here. I was like, well, if I can do one-on-one training, I can teach a group class. No problem. It's a different thing. (laughs) I did not realize how different it was. And I stood up there and I I made a fool of myself. I looked like Mm. an ass. I felt really bad for all those women who had signed up to take that class with me because I'm like, I... I failed. Like this was not good. It was a disaster. And I I think I actually walked out of there like almost in tears. Like I can't believe how bad that was. I'm so embarrassed. It's it's good that you felt something from it because it, yeah, it's be a good honest, learning experience. This one particular presenter, I don't think gave a shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, that, it, it bothered me. It yeah, bothered yeah, me. It's been almost a year and you're still and on I'm that because yeah, that really how bothered much you. It bothered me. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Well, and also because you're you're an educator yourself and you know how much work you put into like when we're preparing to go to a conference or when we're, you know, yeah. putting together material for a class, so much work goes into that oh, behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah, we make sure yeah. that we show up with what we said yeah. we were going to deliver. Yeah, stand and fucking deliver. That's all yeah. there is. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. That's important for sure. I think you already answered this when I had asked a question before, but um what made you want to want to teach? Was it really the influence of all those teachers? Yeah, you know, I think I started out um, by thinking that I had a lot to offer. I think in terms of having experience, because I didn't, I'd been practicing for fifteen years at that time, and um, and found that I really was able to be effective as a, as a therapist, and thought that that would translate well to a teaching experience mm-hmm. and and it did a lot of those the kind of just being able to um have a context to understand for i guess a way in which things that are were on a page in a book and that were my experience and i could watch through a process you know if people 
um, having Achilles tendon injuries or things that were complicated that you're able to see move through a process. And so your ability to understand, my ability to understand um, the pathological process was much different um, from when I started because I had the physical experience. And I found that the stories of the people made it interesting. And so that's something I thought I had to share. And I was, I think I was, and it went, you know, and I really got a lot from it early on, but I was always surprised at how much there was to learn. And I think that's a thing that I've loved about teaching so much is more the learning that I've got from it. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, on that, you know, Thursday night before Friday class, as you're putting together the last details of your class, you're integrating more and more information. You're getting these aha moments all the time. I find that happens all the time because I am forced to go back and look at several different texts to be able to say, okay, so what's the context for, like, say, the vertebral artery th test, right? right and right, so right. then I know in the text, in, in the process, for example, when I at the first college I taught that part of the text or part of the lesson plan for the teaching neck testing was that the vertebral artery test needed to be done before any other tests were done. And in the reality of it is that it's a, it's a provocative test and it probably should never be done. Mm. And so that, but that was back, um, that was back probably in 2010 or 11 when we were just kind of beginning to get our head around that. And so then that, um, that started a really great process where I was talking to colleagues and, and I know that I've talked to a colleague who's on a chiropractor examining board and they say students fail if they do that test. And so they have to do more about the, they have to do the questions rather than, rather than doing it. So then I called the chief examiner at the CMTO and we talked about it and, and she talked about it still at say, and I was asking whether it should be done or all this kind of stuff. So this back and forth about right. integrating information, I think that's what it was for me. Mm -hmm. And I still get that today. I mean, I work with fantastic colleagues and we have to share um, kind of content and, and courses and overlaps. And so with that, we go back and forth and you learn things about how they're doing and how it's different from you. And, and I just find that that never stops. And, um, and I think we're at a time in the profession outside of massage therapy, but also in physiotherapy particularly, there really is a lot of research going on in physiotherapy and a lot of cool people who are getting to the kind of the bottom or getting really clear under understandings about how um, the body works and how injuries get better. And so, and that information is really accessible, right? Because mm -hmm. you can mm -hmm. find a good podcast, right? Like this, or, or a kind of a, 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 a on, on Twitter, you can find a guy that, that is the guy in this area and you follow the people that he's following and yeah. stuff. And so mm -hmm. then you're getting the information as it happens. And so the more you build on that understanding, as you know, Mark, Mark, you're, as you know, you're, you're able then to, um, get a different level of understanding because you're opening a door. And I just find that's where I am at now. Um, it's, it's so cool. So then does it ever frustrate you? I know a big frustration for Mark when he was working in formal education was that you are sort of confined, you know, based on the competencies yeah. and the curriculum. Yeah. Do you ever get frustrated or do, or do you just find a way to, you know, intertwine things and let your students know this information is out there and, you know, do you let them know that what we're learning here in school is not the end of it? Well, I think part of you, first of all, as I kind of, I think that we're talking about a topic live on the day. And so where we are today, it's about our level of understanding and confidence in that. And I mm -hmm. think that we can bring that. I think that's where 
that new experience is more real and more valuable if we're integrating that information. I mean, science is difficult, and there's a lot of bad science out there. And so the difficulty with science is that, um, is that I think you can find a study for anything that you want. That's and so, right. And I don't think that's helpful. And nope. so then it's about following leaders, I think, in the field. Mm -hmm. And so then listening to how their discussions about how we're thinking about things and how we're moving through things. Yes. Um, and then getting a different understanding, right? And so then, um, I mean, look at, for example, um, lactic acid, mm -hmm. right? So we were taught, I was taught that lactic acid was something that formed in muscles and that's why muscle pain got there. Mm -hmm. And so then we, we do Epsom salts baths to get rid of lactic acid and, mm -hmm. and that, um, that's how muscle pain goes away. And then, but that science is, uh, uh, that's old science. It doesn't Yet exist anymore. Yet that's stuck. I know sure. lots of therapists and I, I hear it, you know, their clients are leaving and they say to them, okay, when you get home, take an Epsom salt bath. Mm. Yeah. No, because we were taught well. Right. And that was the common knowledge of that day in mine, my, in my time. And that came from a guy, kind of was a German scientist that, that stimulated in 1904, I think, and it stimulated frogs' legs until they were bathed in lactic acid and he opened <laughs> them up and they didn't fire anymore. And he figured, okay, because because of the lactic acid right. that they're not firing. Mm -hmm. But there was a cool, um, a cool kind of, uh, thing that happened just about five years ago. I mean, so so basically, the science on lactic acid is now that it becomes the it's it's something that does build up. Lactate builds up in our muscles when we use it too much, and so muscles that are working too much will create that acidity. But as soon as there's oxygen available to assimilate it, we use it and it turns into the first fuel we use, mm -hmm. and so it becomes it's it's it doesn't stay in the muscle. It has to it has to move out, and the body will come back to normal really quickly after we stop. And there was a study done in Kingston. Um, in 19, uh, to, sorry, 2015, it was fantastic because I think, I, I don't know this for sure, but I think it happened because a professor was getting a massage and he asked the massage therapist, what are you doing? Mm. And she said, I'm getting rid of lactic, lactic acid in your muscles. I'm sure that's what happened. <laughs> go, he was, he was a prophet up. Kingston and his wife was a prophet Kingston and, and he decided to do a, to, to do a study that showed that um, to show what happened with lactic acid when you worked out. Right. And so then what he did was he got, um, so he, he got someone doing um, these, you know, these wrist, uh, sorry, the hand hand exercises that yep. you that are hard, the elastic things you squeeze oh, back yeah, and yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah. So he got them to people to do it until they couldn't do anymore. The right. last one they couldn't do, right? So then he took a, took a sample of the lactate level in mm -hmm, the muscle mm -hmm. on both sides, and then he got one side massaged and the other side not. And he found that, that the side that got massaged actually had more lactic acid in it because it impaired the natural flow of lactic acid out of the area, mm. right? So then his conclusion, which was false, so there's two things that were wrong with the study. One, first of all, that, that he was assuming that, that lactic acid was a cause of muscle pain. Right. And secondly, which it is in terms of an extreme exercise, but not at, at, at passive, not when you're at rest. And the other thing he, he was saying that, um, that that's what massage does. And mm -hmm. so the conclusion that he made from his study was that massage doesn't work. And that made, it really got popular. It was on CBC, it was in the New York Times in terms of eight, and it was in, there's a really great New York Times writer who put it in her book as being the landmark study for it. So, but the problem was it's not what massage does. And um, and that's not what lactic acid is. Lactic isn't a source of pain. But so that, but the neat thing was that people were listening to what we're saying, 
right? So that idea that, right? And so then Silver they were, lining over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then the Got neat thing positive. is then, so what we say is important. Yeah, yeah. For and sure. so what then, we say is important, yeah. And so then if we can be on Especially the right page. when you're page, talking to a physiology professor that has access to a lab. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Watch what you claim, yeah, RMTs. Exactly. Somebody might just go do a study to prove you wrong. Yeah. So anyway, so that's, so that, so the, in that, so that was kind of an old premise of what we do. And now it's more about, uh, I think it's more about just relaxing muscles and um, changing muscle tone. And mm. so reducing pain patterns. And um, I mean, one of the th- so there's a lot of things that are changing. So if we can upgrade where we stand in terms of what happens with these things and cut, create simple, good explanations and really become like you talked about muscle mechanics yeah. and stay with that. We're really, really solid form. And then as a technologist in the healthcare, we're really good at changing that pattern, right? For sure. I do enjoy that a lot of the conversation in the massage world has shifted to the nervous system. Cool. I think yeah. that, I, I mean, I don't know if that's new or I'm just like, I mean, when new. I say new, I feel like when I went to school, uh, we didn't necessarily no. discuss the nervous system as much as maybe we should have, because really that's that's a huge part of what we're doing, well, right? Think, that's hugely yeah. what we're affecting, and I feel like we need to we need to keep the conversation surrounding the nervous but system. But then a it comes bit. back to the idea: was it not taught? I'm probably sure it was taught. You oh, I didn't, didn't say it wasn't taught. But I just mean, like, as a student, you failed to make those connections. Now, as yeah. a, a therapist, ten years later, you're like, oh, connection oh, made, connection made. Have connection made about yeah. the nervous system. I see what yeah. you did there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that there's two kind of huge changes in terms of directions of research. I mean, one is research into pain and the other is research into the brain, mm-hmm. right? And so then um, the brain that changes itself is the great book. Oh, was it? Who's the guy who wrote that? I forget who wrote it, but... Um, is it Joe Dispenza? No, no. Oh, no, he's that a, was... Um, the... This is a... What's his name again? I forget his name. But. I literally had that book on a shelf in yeah. the last clinic I worked at. I stared at it every day. <laughs> now I can't think remember. of the author. Yeah. So, but anyway, so that the brain that changed gave us an insight in terms of how important an idea that brains science is our brains are changing by the moment as opposed to being static. I mean, mm-hmm. forever in history, right? We thought of certain areas of the brain do Norman certain Deutsch. things. Norman Deutsch. Norman Deutsch, yeah. So done some really great work for making that information accessible about how um, how the brain changes on a moment-to-moment basis. And so then, and there's some great work done by, um, oh, there's some just great, uh, there's, a, there's a book called um, Pain Explained by Mosby and I forget the other guy's name, Lorimer. Um, there's two Australian guys and, and a really fantastic look at signals back and forth mm-hmm. and, and the idea that um, how the brain chooses by, on a moment-to-moment basis what signals it listens to mm-hmm. based on the input. And that's a really complicated look at the brain too and the nervous system and the input. And so, but also, th- and that's kind of, that's been huge impetus. Never in, in, in our lifetime right now, there's never been more study about pain and trying to understand where it comes from. Yep. And so then, you know, everyone, you, you mentioned the idea about going to doctors and stuff like that. And the neat thing now I find is that, you know, that hierarchical world, hierarchical world doesn't exist so much because people want answers answer to their pain. And so if you can be an answer to their pain, they're going to listen to that exactly. because you made their life better. And so in the circumstances... I mean, one of the things that 
that, that we kind of want to distinguish, I think, when we're doing assessments is, is it a new inflammatory pain or is it a chronic type pain? And the chronic type pain, that's something we, I think we used to talk about that as being chronic inflammation, but that doesn't get used so much anymore. Mm-hmm. So the idea of some sort of local nerve ending that's creating the response that's constant, that is really hard to determine what goes on. But if you can create new input in that area, and you're scrambling this receiver in the area, and then the brain has to say, is there still something going on there, or is that all better? Yeah. And so then that's where, I mean, exercise is really great for that, but massage is really great for that as well. There's so many things we can do, and it's it's really cool. I think you mentioned this at the beginning. You know, when someone comes in and we do an assessment, we determine, okay, there's something going on with these particular things in your shoulder. You know, maybe it's yeah. muscular. Okay, these are the muscles that might be involved. And like you said, we work on everything, yeah. right? We're mm-hmm. not just working on something so specific. We're not just putting ultrasound somewhere. Um, we're we're going to treat the entire shoulder girdle. Yeah. So there's so many things things we're doing in that treatment and with all of these different structures that, yeah, we are scrambling so many messages and we're getting outcomes, even if we didn't necessarily 100% know what the exact problem was. And that's, I think that's a message that RMTs can take away as well. Even if you do a whole bunch yeah. of assessments no, and you're not, you're not 100% sure, you yeah. haven't really pinpointed, you know enough, you've gathered enough information to have an idea of what structures to treat, what's going to be safe. Like you said, don't do something that's causing somebody like, you know, a sharp stabbing pain, but you can treat it. And most of the time, the client's going to say, I don't know what you did, but I feel better. No, I or the number of times I've been saying, you've been rubbing someone and you've been thinking... I don't know. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. And they and, and, and at the end of it, they're saying, well, I feel so much better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. So then because that never stops being input to them. So then as it much as you may doubt saying, I have no idea what you did. And you're like, me either. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> Give me a hundred dollars. <laughs> Love God, it. I love our job. <laughs> Not even you give me $100. Get your insurance. Get your insurance paid. to give me $100. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> no, but it really it really is it's it's interesting cuz I mean bodies are going to react in so many different ways. So, I I'm a firm believer in assessments. Every client that I see, I do some form of assessment. And like I said, everything you're doing is an assessment. As you're doing joint mobs with somebody on the table, you're assessing. As you're palpating, you're assessing. As they're walking and you're observing, you're assessing. Every conversation you have with them is some form of assessment. But at the end of the day... I'm going to treat everything. Like I'm going to treat, if you know, you come in with shoulder pain, I'm going to treat everything I I think that might somehow be contributing to your shoulder pain. I'm not so hard focused on like, okay, I think it's a supraspinatus problem. Okay, no, maybe. No, no, and I'll treat the supraspinatus and I'll do it, but I'm going to treat everything else. And yeah. if I'm getting results, then I'm, yay, I'm happy. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, in the, I think the, even when you think about I mean, I, I think about the treatment as the palpation. You know, one of the things that's I, you know, you can find interesting when you do say muscle length testing, say piriformis, mm-hmm. and you find that it's limited. If you do that at the beginning of assessment, and you find that you can only get ten degrees of range of motion with that, and then after the treatment you get thirty degrees. So, what was the true range of motion? Right. So the muscle tension in that limited your true your ability to get full impact in terms yeah. of that was moving. So by palpating and assessing and treating, you've kind of narrowed down a possible problem and you're getting a truer sense of how the joint moves. And so that may change your findings. And I find that one of the ways to think about somebody who comes in with a problem, 
um, is often that if you can localize it more, you're making a, making a, a gain. So mm-hmm. that day if something comes in and say, you stay with the shoulder, for example, and they've hurt their shoulder, that difficulty moving it that travels up to their neck, to their shoulder blade, you've kind of mobilized their scapula and, it, and you've reduced the tension in the upper traps and the, and the, 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 um, the rhomboids and stuff, and that feels better afterwards. Then they have some pain here, but they can do that better. And so then I ra- the movement is better. So then you've already made a lot of gains towards solution. Yeah. And so you can't change the inflammatory process, but you want to make it as simple as possible so that not everything else is bugging them. And that's where it can be really effective. And then the next step is that once they get through and that feels they're able to move it in a stable way, how do you give them specific exercises that allow them to focus on isolating that muscle and then move through it? But that by identifying the muscle early on, you've kind of gone a long way to do that. So mm-hmm. then it's a simple, okay, I'll give you a therapy and you can do that. Let's just do that right now. So I get that going. As long as you have that stable pain when you move it, you're good. Mm-hmm. And we're challenging enough. The body's telling you it likes it because it doesn't hurt and doesn't kill you. And so then, and you know, you know, you can do it and then you're moving forward and you're getting specific things. And then you can give, after that, you can give more global exercises to get global strength happening. Mm-hmm. But that I simple two-step plan. So by doing things like um, uh, length and strength testing of muscles, you can have individual muscles, you can get really specific information that allow you to sure. really st- move forward to a to a rehab plan right after you've got through the the, yeah. the feeling better part, mm-hmm. right? Because that's the be- that's the part. As I think, as um, in in our scope of practice as rehab, we pro- we do the feeling good part. We we could be better at the exercise part. I yeah, think. the movement. Part, yeah, for, for sure. sure. I like that approach. I, I I'm a big fan of that. Right. So you're doing a little bit of assessment, throw a little bit of a treatment intervention, see what comes out of this. Right. Things are working out really well. Good. That's part of my game plan now. This treatment intervention didn't really make much difference. Uh, maybe I don't need yeah. this in the mix. Yeah, I dig yeah, it. I totally else, dig right? it. Yeah. So then, even this, it's like some things with knee, for example. I think I find that IT band and and um, uh, glute medius kind of weakness can be um, kind of involved in lateral knee pain. So when they have lateral knee pain, it can be often your assessment can be almost to rule that out. So mm-hmm, if I treat mm-hmm. that IT band, does that pain go away? Yep, and okay, sure. that, that was that was a hypothesis that went on that they didn't come back and it's better. So that was a good outcome, right? Sure. So then you're kind of going with, like there are, there's only so many things we can do, but by knowing the anatomy and the things that are common patterns with that, um, then you can you have a way to to, to assessment through treating mm-hmm. that is really functional. See, that's the part that I was talking about earlier when I said sometimes the foundational knowledge is missing, and yes. then the, then those connections or the ability to make those connections becomes difficult. Like we've had people in here and they they don't know <laughs> muscles or they don't know yeah. where things are located. Like it's really hard to to get a solid assessment then and do the things that we're talking about. No, and if I that think foundational that, exactly. stuff isn't there. I think there tends to be a focus on new types of techniques rather mm. than integrating the knowledge that you learned in the first place and that foundational so I, I think there, I mean there's like if you go back to how the body we're all working from the outside of the body and there's all kinds of theories about what di- different techniques do but the body doesn't know that the body either gets better or not right mm-hmm. and so then 
And it's about whether that impact, that technique impacts them or not. But really, it's about some sort of external stimulus. And we think about the nervous system as how it's responding. And there's all kinds of different ways to to stimulate the nervous system. And there's all kinds of different practitioners. There's physios, chiros, acupuncturists, Mm -hmm. Chinese medicine, all that stuff. And people love their guys, right? And they make them feel better. And that's great. You pick whatever it is. But it's all on the outside coming in. Exactly. And there's only, the body only has one anatomy and physiology. And so then we're working on the outside to create some sort of stimulus that's making a change, right? Mm -hmm. And our tools are as good as anybody's. And so that's about it then. So rather than focusing on new techniques, new things you have to do, let's kind of get back, let's get back to basics and tell me that that muscle under your hands right now when you're doing that petrosage, what's that's name, mm. right? And how, and so then you, if you can work with that really closely and understand, understand it, then you can identify, is that muscle strained or in pain? Mm-hmm. Okay, it, it is or it isn't. And then you've kind of identified that stuff really well. This right? is the approach that I take. And this is what I was trying to say when we had Troy on. Okay. And I was saying that I think that um, when I was teaching, I would tell the students, really know your anatomy, yeah. really understand your anatomy, know where everything. And he didn't agree with me. He felt like that was less important than talking about the nervous system. And I, I said, okay, like I get what you're saying. And I, I just said that I, I appreciate that we integrate the nervous system a little more, but that's still part of anatomy. Exactly. Yeah. You and need so, to know your no, anatomy. A, muscle, <laughs> a muscle without a nerve is meat. Yeah, exactly. And so then- it's dinner. <laughs> that's like the grossest thing you've ever said. You've said some pretty gross things. <laughs> so then I think then the fact that it is innervated, that's going to respond and we can use that. And that, I think that there's a lot there. And I think it's easy to walk away from that and get attracted to a particular way of doing things that is a different system, that's intriguing. Um, but this is what the science of our profession is, I think. It's the hard science of our profession. And that's the knowledge that we have. Mm-hmm. And then if we can, can and, and, and it's a bit of work to continually integrate it. Um, but you end up having this kind of capacity to break down a concrete um, a, 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 an external problem, somebody's problem into a concrete solution. Mm-hmm. When you, I, I shouldn't say when you were a therapist, you're still a therapist. When you first started out and before you were in education, did you take a lot of continuing education? No, I have, I had some teachers early on. I think it was um, McCarthy, Deborah McCarthy. She was one of, she taught me treatments with uh, um, Fiona. And she always said, I just love this. He says, you guys, you guys know are getting so much. Before you start taking courses, just learn what yes, you Yes, know. I'm a fan of that idea. Just, You're I, a huge fan and of I that just idea. Find, <laughs> I just find that I've done that all the time. And so the thing, you know, struggling initially when someone comes in with, like, in those days, right, coming in with a tendonitis, and I'm thinking, so is this golfers or tennis? And it's like, all right, let's go back and figure that out. And so then getting really kind of because i think you, you just unless you're using it actively all the time you won't remember and then you just you lose connection to that yep and i found that i just i've been lucky that i've treated a lot of complicated things and um and from that experience uh, you have a kind of just a so much better understanding of it it's not mm-hmm. something on a textbook anymore right so then you be you're able to apply the process of the individual how they got better to um how bodies get better and you can you can extrapolate mm-hmm. uh, and, and so then uh, yeah so i haven't done a lot of that and a lot of my learning has been through um you know through examining through teaching and yeah that was that. that was sort of the philosophy when we started the continuing so, education company right. was instead of learning yeah, the cool new you. thing and doing something yeah. different it's let's 
hone in on the skills that you already have. Yeah, Let's yeah. expand on them. Let's make you better at them. Yeah, so yeah. the very first like technique for course, for example, joint was yeah. are the advanced oh, I was just going to say joint mobs course. is just something that people just, I just find they struggle with them yeah. so much. And, it, and it's such a great skill. I mean, if, if, particularly from an assessment point of view, if you're mobilizing exactly. someone's foot, you can find where the problem is. Like you, yeah. you're, there's more often, there's so many joints there that you can find the one that hurts. Yep. If you know where to go, right? Yeah, that and was so the, then, the first but, 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 one that he did, and it's, no, that makes so much sense. And I uh, that that's one that I find I really when I when people are leaving, I'm fine in the last term of the course. It's one I'd like to see them uh, understand better. They mm -hmm, just haven't, mm -hmm. and part of it, it maybe is the theory is complicated, mm -hmm. um, and so then um, and the positioning and the convex on concave rule and and the idea of have to be an open packed and, and just a bit of traction and all these kind of things that yeah. go into it that make it make them freeze a bit. Yeah. But um, and so I try and break that down a little bit in terms of really just trying if try and move the joint in a way that we're stabilizing one side and move the other. And so then if you can do that and then really and just and it's not about identifying the the part of the structure that's injured but to see is it happening there or is it mm -hmm, happening somewhere mm -hmm, else. Mm -hmm. And so then that simple framework, if you can know how to position your hands. Um, to move one bone without moving the other, then you're getting that unique motion, right? Yep. And then and you can figure uh, that out if you know your anatomy. <laughs> yeah. So then that's, but that's the opportunity, I think. I know we got, we do a lot of that in our program in terms of really that's reinforcing good. anatomy all the time. Um, and a lot of practical application to making sure that they're getting drilled in it um, so that you see them. And you do see them by term five and six. You see them really owning it in a way that's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. I, I'm still... I love when we were running that joint mobilizations course and people like the feedback we get, people are oh, like, cool. I'm so happy I did this good. because this was a skill that I just always shied away from. Right. Yeah. And no, it, it is a little more complicated, I guess. It's not as simple as petrissage. So yeah. it's something that maybe many RMTs shy away from, but it is so useful in treatment and yeah. you can get so much out of it. Yeah, that's a perfect example. Like, let's take the skills that you've been taught. Let's, let's master those let's master yeah. them. Exactly. before we no, start like moving that. on really, to a bunch of other things, yeah. yeah. And same thing, you know, since we're talking about assessments, uh, we teach a two-day assessments review course. Yes, it's going over some of the orthopedic tests, but Mark does uh, most of the first day is going back to the basics and understanding, again, understanding range of motion and why we're doing it and what we're looking for and what's happening yeah, cool. there and, you know, why you do passive range of motion. Then we go to, you know, why you're um, doing resisted movements and what's happening in the joint and he goes through mm -hmm. arthrokinematics and it's just breaking everything cool. back down to make people understand why are we even doing this assessment yeah. what are or we looking even, for even like a in orthopedic test a special orthopedic test like yeah. there, there's 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 tons of value in that and it's a matter of yeah. understanding like why when i do this thing is it stressing this structure and how is it stressing the structure and i just feel like a lot of times when you come out of school you don't make those connections no you don't know right so you're like no, okay well, i'm going to do this test and I'm going to put my hands here and I'm going to do this to the body but I don't, and, don't I know, know why. and I don't know I don't understand how this is stressing this particular structure what is it doing to it yeah. and then why might I get a positive or negative and what that even means in the first place yeah so, definitely I think yeah. that's great I think one of the things that I find with the special test that becomes like it's almost too much information for some people mm -hmm. in the sense of you know you do this and it means that and so they're at 
you have a disc herniation. <laughs> and, and, you know, you're not sure yet. Uh, let's wait. That's how it's written in the textbook. And, and so then there becomes a, the difficulty with special testing, it becomes, you know, one step away from diagnosis. Yeah. And so then that can also hamstrung them. So what do I, what do I do with that? I think the key, the key thing is being able to build on your knowledge and to think of that as a particular set of knowledge that you'll work with to see how, how it works over time. Yep. But I think you have to have, you have to do it enough to really get a sense of, first of all, you're, that you're doing it right. And then second of all, because that happens a lot where people don't do it right and then they get a result. But they get a result that isn't necessarily any pain as a result. Mm-hmm. And so it might not be the pain that they're supposed to get, but they're getting a pain. And so there can be a lot of confusion and that leads them down a path where they're almost at a, at a sh- closed door. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the, like I like special tests and I use them a lot, but I, but I also, no, there's a lot of therapists. And for me, this this kind of idea of kind of making a, a kind of an assessment model that fits for therapists is really for to empower everyone in a way that wherever you're at, you know, let's get kind of, let's really, first of all, build on the fact that you are assessing right now through your treatment and then you're getting a better understanding of it. And then as you get, build that comfort level and, and confidence as you're writing your notes down, I know that there was increased tone in QL or, or erector spinae. That was my, that's my assessment findings in my notes. I'm confident that I'm doing that. And that range of motion was limited or it was painful state the range, little things like that, that becomes a place in which you're building on that. And then if you so choose that you, then you pursue it yourself to get a really solid understanding. And that Mm. stuff is really fun. um, But it's also something if you don't want to do, you can refer out and send Mm. it to your physio or your chiro or you're working with and that that kind of circumstance. So, so really, first of all, kind of knowing yourself, what you like about this stuff. And then second of all, um, you know, kind of have a framework that you're working with to get understanding and context. I mean, oftentimes, you know, when I'm teaching special tests, I'll talk about um, the, you know, the, how similar a lot of special tests mm-hmm, are. Mm-hmm. You look at Trendelenburg and, and Stork Standing and, and uh, a lot of these kind of hip tests, there's a lot of overlap. Yeah, for sure. But, the, but the findings are all different. And so then you want to look at all these things are same thing or happening at the same time. So what structures are maybe involved? And if you, if you get pain here, that it's not there, what does that tell you mm-hmm. in that circumstance? And so then, but that becomes the next level of understanding. And so the key thing, and so a lot of the students are just like, so what's the name of the test again? Exactly. Yeah. Who's yeah. that old white guy that I remember? <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> and so then, so then the key, key thing is so, and then they're still, but then their main focus is often getting through to the to the, the exams, exactly. the CMTO, and hoping, what do I do if I get this test and stuff? And so then. So then that the kind of there's I think there's levels and, and building that can happen for everyone. But the first thing is I think for people to know that they're really finding things when they're working. Yeah. And then that's your base and then you build as you go from there. For sure. Right on. I dig it. You love assessment. I, I love everything that we do, man. Like, yeah. this, there's not much about this this job, this profession, this this whole industry that I don't dig. Cool. Even 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 all the conflict that comes with it. Like I I, I eat that up too. So yeah. <laughs> Well, is there any any other information you want to give people before we wrap up today? I don't remember again from our correspondence if you, I don't know, do you did you write a book? Did you? Do- <laughs> no, no, I haven't written. A like book, literally no. forgot because we have been talking. When did we originally start talking? Like May. Yeah, it was, it was it's been May, a while, think, uh, so yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember. Yeah. Like I said, I said uh, he's, he's coming in to talk about assessments or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> See, COVID does a lot of things. To you. Does yeah, a lot no, of things. Yeah. yeah. 
But anything else you want to share um, before we no, wrap I up? No, I think this has been fun. I've really enjoyed this. It's kind of it's a nice given uh, uh, back and forth, and and you guys have kind of uh, been fun to talk to. Um, yeah, no, I this has been I like this a lot. Right. Right? Yeah. Any other questions you have, Monsieur? <sighs> Did you come out of COVID and went straight to the barber? Is that is that, is that something that happened? That Just day, yeah, that day. <laughs> I got a haircut the day I could. Yeah, I was gonna say you don't look shaggy enough no, to have COVID. No, I was, Mark, Mark I did was his own so hair. shaggy, and I was done. I just and anyway, so so that day I got off work and I walked by a barber and he said appointment only, but he had an opening and I walked in <laughs> and I got it done. Nice, yeah, nice. Yeah, it's yeah. important stuff. <laughs> Whatever. One of the first things you probably did was your 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 feet and your hands and stuff. No, sure did. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever's important to you. Nice. I'm not hating on. I got my manicure done. I got my pedicure done. I got my hair done. I've got a tattoo appointment next week. I'm taking advantage of all the open things. Nice. Cool. Good, yeah. Good cool. call. Before we have to close down again. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, don't say that. <laughs> it's, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. It's not going to happen. Right? All right. Well, thank you for coming <laughs> all the way here. I don't know if you're if you're familiar with Scarborough or if this was like trekking no, to I, the I other part I, of the I, world. I'm in, I'm in the West. I'm in Etobicoke. So it's not, but you know, it's, it's there's no bad. traffic now. So it's not a big deal. It's not that bad. <laughs> Right on. Thanks right. for coming. This, yeah, right. this is a lot of fun, guys. Thanks. Cool. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace. <laughs>